namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa uddham dhammam sankham namasami So, some extracts this morning, we some extracts, this one's from the 119th Discourse of the Middle Length Sayings, the Kaya Gata Sati Sutta, here translated as mindfulness of the body, but actually with this Gata, it means more or less mindfulness gone right into, so it's not Kaya Sati, which we Mindfulness of body, kaya, katasati, so associated with really diving right in, immersion in the body. A couple of pieces here. They could have gone to the forest or to the root of a tree, sits down, folds their crosswise, sets body erect, establishes mindfulness to the fore. Breathing, breathing out, mindful. Breathing in long, breathing out. Long, understands it, knows it directly as it is. Breathing in short, he directly knows. Breathing in short, breathing out short, he directly knows. Breathing out short. Breathing in, experiencing the entire body. Breathing out, experiencing the entire body. Breathing in, tranquilizing the bodily formation. Breathing out, tranquilizing the bodily formation. Abides thus diligent, ardent and resolute. Memories and intentions based on the household life are abandoned. Whether abandoning his mind, his jitta, heart, becomes steadied internally, quieted, brought to singleness and concentrated. This is how a bhikkhu develops mindfulness of body. Mm. So also in walking, he directly knows pajanati, which means to thoroughly, completely know it or feel it or experiencing it. He directly knows walking, standing, directly knows standing, sitting, directly knows sitting, lying down, directly knows lying down. However, body is this body is disposed, as he abides thus diligent, ardent, resolute, memories and intentions based upon the household life are abandoned. One who acts in full awareness, Sampajano when going and returning, when looking ahead and looking away, when flexing and extending limbs, when wearing robes, carrying outer robes, eating, drinking, consuming food, tasting, defecating, urinating, walking, standing, seating, falling asleep, waking up, talking and keeping silent. As he abides thus, diligent, ardent and resolute, his memories and intentions based on the household life are abandoned. With abandoning, the mind becomes steadied, internally quieted, brought to singleness and concentrated. That's how our bhikkhu develops 
mindfulness of body. We've used this body, the soles of the feet up and down, bounded by skin, as full of many kinds of impurity, for example, head hairs, body hairs, nails, teeth, skin, flesh, sinews, bone, bone marrow, kidneys, and so on. Just as if there were a bag with an opening, both ends full of many sorts of grain, such as hill rice, red rice, beans, peas, millet, and white rice. Some with good eyes would open it and sense it, just like this. This is hill rice, this is red rice, these are beans, these are peas, this is millet. So it goes on. And by thus diligent, ardent, and resolute memories and intentions based on the household life are abandoned. With abandoning his chitta, his heart becomes steadied, internally quieted, brought to singleness and concentrated. This is how a bhikkhu develops mindfulness immersed in the body. Also sees a dead body, similar. And so on. And again, when quite secluded from sense pleasures, secluded from unwholesome states, Bhikkhu enters upon and abides in the first jhana, which is accompanied by applied and sustained thought with rapture and pleasure born of seclusion, makes the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion drench, steep, fill and pervade this body, so that there is no part of his whole body unpervaded by the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion. Just as a skilled bathman or bathman's apprentice heaps bath powder in a metal basin, sprinkling it gradually with water, kneads it until the moisture wets his ball of bath powder, soaks and pervades it inside and out. Yet the ball itself does not ooze. So to a bhikkhu makes the rapture and pleasure born of seclusion, drench, steep, fill and pervade his body. This too is how a bhikkhu develops mindfulness of the body. Mm. So, it's a pretty standard um, presentation, probably familiar with it in some degree. Mm. But here we look at certain key features, the abandoning memories and intentions based on household life, and these uh, practices have this particular function to do that, so that when that's accomplished, the mind then withdraws and abides in this rather agreeable, composed, collected state, where happiness, pleasure, is felt in the body. Mm. And further on, You'll see many occasions, the Buddha said, when the body is comfortable and tranquil, the mind is happy. When the mind is happy, it is concentrated. When it's concentrated, it sees things as they really are. Mm. Now this is, you know, we should read these straight from the suttas, and what you probably <laughs> come to notice if you look into these texts, things have travelled along, the meanings of the words have moved along over thousands of years, it's, it's quite natural, and something fairly broad 
being presented here, earthy, extremely earthy, fairly colloquial, over a thousand years or so, you get something rather specialised, esoteric, such as focusing on the nose tip, which does not appear in the suttas. That's very narrow, focused. There's no mention of that. Another mention comes up in in later literature is the acquiring of particular subtle nimittas and beads of light that appear in the mind and focusing on those. It does not appear in the suttas. It's not there. Yeah. So, well, what do you say? Things have travelled. It's not that those practices wouldn't lead to that, but to call them as necessary would seem to be disrespectful of what the Buddha was saying. Something much broader and more accessible. And so these preliminary practice particularly, you say, you know, if you're walking, scratching, leaning, defecating, eating your meal <laughs> with full awareness, you're doing some powerful work. <laughs> Yeah, you're uprooting the memories and intentions based on what he calls household life. In those days you've got two very distinct modes, household person, family, farming, merchant, you know, broiled in that all day long. Some in a forest, recluse, living on arms food, dragging rags off a corpse, living in the root of a tree, very distinct lifestyles. So he just calls it like that. And there the, the main uh, um, bent of household life is towards sense pleasure. Again, sense pleasure. Mm. And you see the accounts, there's pleasure is violence, kings slaughtering each other, violence. Um, nowadays we see uh, these household life life in general, in urbanised societies, all those, those qualities are still present, but probably the overriding uh, effect of life in the world is um, pressure of work. The person defines himself by their job, I'm a dentist, I'm a taxi driver, that means a lot of schooling, major part of one's life is spent absorbed in that particular experience, which is deadlines, goals, competition, pressure. Mm. So particular programs get planted there about getting things done, getting on, isolation, competition, you know, intense what next, getting the next thing, plan in advance get the next thing done, make sure it's going right, this kind of thing. And the results, uh, stress, uh, loss of empathy, loss of relaxation. People work more now than they did 10,000 years ago when we were primitive. <laughs> uh, stress, uh, psychological problems, tension disorder, addictions, insomnia, can't get to sleep, medication. Um, social dysfunction and perversions mm, you know, child paedophilia you don't see that in the suttas you don't see you know, internet pornography in the suttas you don't see 
you know, QAnon conspiracy theories being peddled in the suttas, you know, these kind of crazy stuff going on. That is now very much part of what we may not be involved with, but one can't help but notice these things are going on. The mind, crazed, uh, and the point when, you know, what's lost, rapture and pleasure born of seclusion, born of withdrawal, um, sense of personal integrity, happiness, contentment, balance, lost. Massive problems. You know, people still tend to persist in saying, oh, you know, Dhamma practice is all right, but it's not really for the real world. <laughs> right, it doesn't fit with internet pornography and child abuse, it's true. It doesn't fit with, uh, you know, sociopathic dysfunction, no it's true, it doesn't fit with that. It doesn't fit with manic obsessive patterns, true, it doesn't fit into the real world. What a shame. <laughs> doesn't fit in with suicide, no, no it doesn't. Doesn't fit in with crazed political leaders ranting through the internet, no, no it's not realistic at all. You know, if we actually had followed this practice in the real world, the real world might have been rather different <laughs> than it is now. <laughs> if you were content, comfortable, warm-hearted, uh, held up by virtue, restrained, maybe the real world would be a little more comfortable place for us to live in. Yeah. This is very realistic, in my opinion. Yeah. So uprooting these powerful, these, these influences. Amen. Sensuality, but I would suggest again, reminding us of the driven, fragmented nature of our society. And what's probably more important is to develop qualities like loving-kindness, Virtue, sharing, compassion, heart qualities, which are also part of the spectrum of that which has to be practiced. Let's bear in mind, you know, even these reflections on the, people take these reflections on the unattractive aspects of the body as some kind of final statement of bodily life, but right juxtaposed to it, the Buddha's saying, yeah, well, once you've got that, then you can saturate your entire body with pleasure. It doesn't seem to be a complete repudiation of bodily life, in my experience. It's just repudiation of a view that uh, can obsess the mind and recognize also this is directed to one's own body, you know, a sense of loss of glamour fascination with the personal appearance. Mm. And even then, you know, accordingly the scriptures, some people got it wrong, some of the monks got it wrong and started committing suicide. So the Buddha said, wait a minute, 
Let's get back to breathing in and out. <laughs> you know, they didn't understand what I was saying. This is not hatred. This is dispassion. It's the severing of passion, obsession, compulsion, gratification. That's being referred to here. The severing of certain intentions and memories, perceptions, which are seeing, coming through the media, day in, day out, through it, every day of one's life. If you look at media, perception of the body, experience of allure, you know, got to get attractive. How crazy does that make people? Desperately trying to look like something they're not. We live comfortably with a body. So this, when there's that passion, the chitta isn't thrust forward. So its energy is not thrust forward into the sense fields. You step back, sits back. This is very, to me, this is quite significant. The mind, the chitta becomes steadied internally. Means it's not steadied on something, it's steadied on itself. It's not we're focusing on a particular point to hold us up, we're focusing on chitta itself, steadied internally. Quietened, it's cooled down. Hmm? Brought to singleness, ekodibawa, it's unified. Instead of being scattered this way, that way. Samadhiati, consolidated, I'll throw that suggestion in as a translation of concentrated, amalgamated, unified. Because it's not scattered and broken up, thrown out through this and that, and this and that, and this and that, it's drawn back into itself. And what is that? Where does the chitta sit? Where is the place of the chitta? We say chitta doesn't belong in the sense fields. That's why it gets thrown out into the sense fields through passion, through aversion, through fear. Because it doesn't actually belong, it's thrown there by these powerful impulses. Gets, but it gets thrown there so many times, we imagine that's where it is. We live with that fundamental bent towards sensuality, including, remember, thought, mental impression, memory, psychological patterns, mental constructions, planning, programming, psychologies, thrown into all that. They will make us secure. They will make us clear. They will make us steady. We'll have it all figured out. Once we get into that correct idea, we'll get it all figured. Once I get a complete, accurate plan, everything's going to be nice and steady, I'll be comfortable. Thrown in there. And that's what you're seeing. 
That's the daily, that's the social program, isn't it? That's the business model, that's the political model. Get that correct idea going, that's the program, and we'll be all right. And you watch it, another one. (laughs) Causing some kind of, yeah, well, intention maybe, but not very seasoned wisdom. And you're finding this, okay, governments are just people doing what they do. Don't seem very wise people in my opinion. Probably got some good intentions. And yet, you know, you look at this current crisis, governments are really wrong-footed, stumbling around. What happens? Good people look around and help each other. Support each other, get sensible. That's that's the way it works in real life. It always has worked in real life. Good people get together, get sensible, look around and support each other. That's how it works. It's encouraging to realise if you do, you don't go into some kind of big ideological thing or another. You just get sensible, restrain the senses, restrain the aversion, restrain the passion, set back. Jitta is going to come forth in its true place, which is not in the thinking mind. That's why it never settles there. You can't find a, you can't find yourself settling into a thinking mind. It doesn't settle. It constantly moves from this to that. It only settles if you get obsessive, fixated on some dogma. You hear some of this going on in the media. Crazy. And settle back into something where. Hmm, what's that? So you're returning. What is the place of jitta? Well, it's. Jitta is triggered or touched by meaning, perception, and by feeling. Something means something. Hmm. May not be accurate, maybe distortion, but it's touched by it. Maybe misperceptions, confused means, but it's definitely affected by it. Threat or worry, emotional stuff, perceptions, impressions. Then response to that, intentions rise up, move out, jump up. And while we're checking it, it's just to recognize when you're taking this perception, you know, perception of attractiveness, perception of permanence, what kind of intentions jump up? Oh. Play for your welfare, you get scrambling, you get busy, you get frantic, you get craving, you get discontented, you get fearful, you get stressed, wrong. It's not skillful. You check out the input by what the results are. If you're saddened, if you're jealous, if you're left alone, wrong, wrong. Something's wrong here. Something's not happening here. Now when we sort of begin to step back from the external senses, you've got to try to step back from the internal sense, which are the mind-based thinking psychologies. This is not easy. 
because this has been our leader for a long time. When you step back from it, you often feel disoriented. Like, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to be? How do you do this thing? Give me the program. Tell me what to do. What's the program? How to meditate? What am I supposed to do? And how long for? And what will this take me to? And does this mean I could live the rest of my life? And stop. Go to your body, breathing out. Because that that agitation, you can see the results. That's not what it's about. And you're getting the not getting the clear meaning. Clearly meaning is place of rest. Ease. That's the, that's the idea. Let go of that so you can rest in this, return home. But it's rather like, you know, getting off a centrifuge or off a roller coaster. When you get off the thing, you're dizzy. You know, jitters dizzy. That dizzy state just got off the roller coaster and that hangover state just coming out of the binge we had the other week. 20 years of it. Jitters pretty rocky. So what is the body? Feel that. Get hold of that till you get steady. And then... Even with that, is quality of buddhanusati, recollection of awakening, is a quality of virtue. Practice those, get a feeling for those, is the quality of loving kindness, get that. This is closer to jitta's domain. Meaning, jitta is affected by meaning. Bring in, therefore bring in, skillful meaning, helpful meaning. Reflect upon it, recite it, chant it. You can chant Buddha or Namo Buddhaya with every breath. It's getting it in there, the sound resonating it. So it's still sensory, but at least the meanings derived from it is that which is going against that got to get it done, what next pattern. It's going against that who am I, what will I be in five years' time, how long am I supposed to do this, and what's the point of it? Going against that. Settle, settle. And here's something you can settle with. When you get settled, then you can look clearly. Can't look clearly, you're still dizzy, still you know, unsteady. Put the keel, like the boat, when you put a boat in water, you should put a keel on it. The longer, the stronger the keel, the more accurately you can keep that boat in the ocean. Keep the boat has the keel underneath it, that's going to hold it steady in the ocean. If you look in a boat, look at a boat, you don't see the keel. You see sails, you see masts, you see infrastructure. That's the boat. Great, great, great. Who needs a keel? (laughs) What we want is this nice boat with pretty flags on it and pennants and, you know. That's what you want. We're going to get across the, the ocean. Great boat. What's this keel thing? Waste of time. Chuck it away. <laughs> what do I waste my time building a keel for? <laughs> I want to have the sails. I want to have the flags. I want to have the... No, no, no. You want to have a keel. <laughs> well, good Because otherwise that boat's going to turn over. Yeah. And they were saying, this is very realistic. <laughs> because that's where you're living. 
the ocean of samsara with all these tremendous riptides and currents. You haven't got a keel, you haven't got a chance. <laughs> you have all the flags in the world, all the great aspirations in the world. You haven't got this keel, that boat's going to tip over for sure. You know, so, this is very realistic. Yeah. And your time, steadying, deepening, steadying, deepening, steadying. Deep. You get the keel, you're in the ocean already. What do you think that boat's going to do? It's going to sail steady, isn't it? That's its nature. You don't have to be flogging it, whipping it. It's its nature, it's the sail steady. You're in the ocean already. <laughs> so there's both a doing in meditation, which is a sense of establishing this axis, this foundation, this sense of measuredness, and picking up the current of goodness as an undoing. Let jitter do itself. Let jitter do it. You know, as it comes out of its dizziness and its grogginess, confusion, it's got goodwill. It's innately mirror-like, it reflects. It's innately knowing, it's a source of full understanding, direct knowing, pajanati. It's there. Let it do its work. You just have to stay steady and find the currents where you stay steady and comfortable. And then it's going to, you just, you're discarding the wrong influences. So we come into a meditation practice that has been suggested don't focus on a particular detail of sense unless you want to do something like these recollections of the parts of the body that's the only example the Buddha gives of looking at particular points is to let go of them not to obsess with them <laughs> it's fundamental instruction is to step back Chitta finds its real place which is step back from the sense fields aware of them Walking, sitting, standing, you've got to be aware of the sense fields, otherwise you're going to have an accident. But you're not going out into them. That's, there's the place. Jitta then gets the meaning, gets the suggestions coming from the, what the mind brings. It's no, not that one, no, 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 that. Mm. Follow my intention. Follow the jitter intention, which is, I want steady, I want easeful, I want you know, clear. I don't want that rushing in, jumping up stuff, thank you. I want this one, my intention. Not the intention just planted by the random input of the sense fields. Then we steer through the sense fields. Walking, sitting, standing eating, drinking, and so on, talking, based in that, you're aware, you're not jumping out, you're not closing down. That's the fine point, where jitta is attentive, mature, skillful, discerning. It gets the meanings, 
It doesn't follow every meaning, every impression. Ones that enable it to stay steady, comfortable. So it's certainly not a blotting out or annihilation of experience. The difference, it's the whole body. The Buddha said, I experience these jhanas, which have become extremely uh, specialized in later literature, as something I experience when I'm standing, walking, sitting or reclining. I abide in the comfort and happiness of these. Well, clearly, you can't walk very far if you're stuck on focusing on a point at the end of your nose, you're going to have an accident. Right? If it means you've got to focus on some point of light in your mind, you're not going to walk very far. I wouldn't recommend it. So one must say, well, I don't think that's what he's pointing at. If it meant you have to be completely oblivious, how would you be able to understand the teachings? You're sitting there completely oblivious to sense, sense data, to mental, even the door of the mind. You hear thoughts, you hear... Th- and that, one's, that one's striking a dull note. That one's getting me agitated. That one... That's comforting. That touches the heart. Mm. That one, don't understand. That one makes me feel cynical. No. That one. Bright. Steadying. That one. So you discern the meanings. And you notice the effect. How do you notice the effect? Because you can feel them shivering in the heart. Until the heart is clear, you can sense it in your body. Feel yourself getting hot, hot headed, tense, agitated. Saddened, weighed down, not wrong. Change the channel. We have to do this many times. This essentially is practice. This is practice. This is practice. This is practice. I've said it three or four times now. (laughs) Because people still think, oh, I want to find some time to practice. in it <laughs> where you are shift the intentions discern the meanings settle in where the mind the heart collects is settled quietened steadied internally gathers together consolidates this, you know, there's a kind of happiness that comes from that. This is the happiness associated with this absorptive state when you're really into what you're doing. When you're fully with what you're doing, when you're embodied in what you're doing. The Buddha seems to suggest you can experience this walking along. 
really with that, the fullness of that. Not walking to get somewhere, not walking wondering why I should walk, not walking thinking how long should I walk for, not walking comparing with somebody else's walking, but just being in the body walking. You're short of space and you can't get walking going, probably because you're trying to do it. Or you think it's a system, a technique you've got to get good at. Mm-hmm. And this can be the case, particularly as our walking has often been um, compared, I say, suggest with 5th century India, where people walked around pretty normal. When uh, we tend to march and scuttle, scuttle to the car, scuttle to the kitchen, march to work, down paved streets, and the aim is to get to the end of it. Mm-hmm. So not walking has become kind of gripped marching, running along. Walk like the way you see a dog walk or a cat walk. Don't know how to do that, just stand still, close your eyes. The eyes are the most captured sense organs we have, captured by structures of our world. Close your eyes and just stand there, lift one leg, lift the other leg, just walk on the spot till you get the feeling of this is how our body walks. Close your eyes, get the feeling for it, you feel it internally. And the flow of it, and the coordination of it, you put aside going anywhere. It's an exercise in experiencing the body moving. And you can get composed in that, and that's your teaching, is you can have stillness within movement. You're just aware of the movement the energies of the body, the sensations rippling through jitta. It's opened. These things just flow through, steadying it, comforting it. Then you know that's where jitta is. It's that which receives these energies and impressions, that which receives these meanings, that which is touched by them, and you, when they become harmonious. When it sits in itself, allows phenomena to come into it which it feels are appropriate. Does not allow phenomena to come into it which are not appropriate. Shrinks away from it, is sickened by it, disinterested in it. Phenomena that are comforting, gentle, supportive, brightening, allows those in. It's glad and steadied. So we should never force it. You want to get jitter to exert its own dominion. Be discerning, even if it makes mistakes. Learn. You you get it. Capacity for that place, that jitta, to then experience gladness as it's relieved from the pressure of compulsion. 
And instead of these vile intentions which rush out, you get a gentle shimmering. It's rather like, it is like a lake in some respects. You can liken it to a lake. And all, many intentions, like when you get a, a rock, you throw a rock in the lake, the water jumps up and splashes through the air because you've just thrown a rock in it. These are the intentions based upon worldly behaviour. Throwing rocks into the pond, of course, the intentions jump up and splash around. But they, they leave the water. They leave the lake. But you can also have the case where the lake itself sits and it shimmers. And it gets meaning. Shimmers. Subtle resonance of delight. Those sources which give us comfort and gladness. Perceptions, meanings of people we trust and are grateful for, the shimmers. Perceptions and meanings associated with skillful deeds, glad and steady. The lake just gently shimmers. Seems so insignificant compared with those gigantic splashes of, of intention. When you linger in it, those seemingly ineffectual shimmerings become deep resonances of ease, comfort, saturate the body, clean out the residues of confused intentions. When the body is steadied, jitter is happy. When it's happy, it's concentrated, it's gathered together then it can see clearly. So, consider it for yourself, practice it. What's it like when you stand, walk, whole body, nothing in particular? Keep withdrawing from that driven out impulse of the tactile sense or the mental sense or the visual sense. Settle back, open. You begin to feel the body now and it's just a sense of energies moving and shifting. Stay with that, internal. The jitter is perhaps not settled but turning things over, dealing with memories and opinions, releasing them. You've got this embodied experience to act as the base that just begins to absorb and drain those impressions. And then, because the body knows how to discharge, which the mind finds very difficult. The body knows how to relax, the mind doesn't. The body relaxes, tranquil, heart feels happy. Even in the midst of a cold winter, in silence, nothing much happening, media, no media, no entertainment, we're happy. That's the real world. So let's take some time for direct practice. Thank you.